Well, that was a very bright and cheering song. Wasn't that bright? Is it kind of instill in us this kind of invigorating, isn't it? And the message that Jesus is near fits very well with what we're going to be sharing tonight because as we go through the transitions of life, which is what we're talking about tonight, he is with us. He says, I will never leave you or what? Forsake you. And we know that our problem and the problems of our fellow human beings is more that we decide to leave him and wander. So tonight, we're going to be talking about what happens between the day we're born and the day we die. These are the transitions of life. And if you have your Bible, open with me to Ecclesiastes, a very familiar chapter, 3. And we're going to look there at a couple of the verses. Ecclesiastes 3, beginning with verse 1. Very familiar about the seasons of life. Says that to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. Time to be born and a time to die. Time to plant, a time to pluck up. And then as it goes through the next few verses, it really talks about the whole spectrum of life. A myriad of things that we will experience, that we will go through as we transition from helpless babies to going to the grave. Now, the helpless babies is a condition we can't do anything about. That's why we're helpless, dependent. And in the last moments of our life, we can't really do much about that. But in between... The Lord says a lot of things are going to happen, and verse 10 says, I have seen the travail which God hath given to the sons of men, to be exercised in it. And verse 11 ties it all together, and he says, he has made everything beautiful in his time. You know, one of the the problems that we face is that we don't always recognize the timing that God has in our transitions. In some of the things that we travail through, the trials, the difficulties, we don't always see why it's happening in the moment. But if we believe, you believe God's word tonight? Amen. Holds the keys, our theme there, all these promises that are keys to success. If we can believe Verse 11 says, even though we've gone through all these things, that he has made everything beautiful in his time. That's his plan for us. And ultimately, what we're exercised by in these transitions of life that we'll be talking about this evening, ultimately God's plan for us has always been and continues to be the final transition to never part again with God and with one another. You want to be a part of that transition? Absolutely. So we're going to look tonight at the spectrum of life, and every one of us are in that journey of life. Some of you, I've seen some very young babies here. They're in there. 
and they're not going to pay any attention to what we're saying tonight. But for those of you who are two or older, you can start hearing things. We're going to be talking about what it's like in those various ages, some of the things we experience, some of the things we go through, and how God wants to use that to strengthen us to prepare us for our eternal home. So we first want to look at where we start off in life. And we all start in the same place, right? Where do we start? As babies, newborn babies, totally dependent. It, it's, it's an exciting thing, and I know every parent here in this room, and even if you're young people or older or young adults, and even for those of you who are grandparents, maybe you've had the experience of the grandchildren, but the first moments that you see that little one does something inside of your head something inside of your heart that no matter what you thought and how you planned and and how you thought you're ready for this child, when it happens, it's a brand new experience. And it's, it's very, very special and powerful. I can remember when our first was born, I was fascinated that even her fingernails were developed. Even they had little white tips on them. I mean, isn't God incredible? This is all happening. And you know that we've come a long way in modern technology and medicine and things. And now, now that we are grandparents and our daughters are having children, it's fun because every week they send us an update on the stage of life. Oh, Emily just has a mango inside of her right now, you know, and it's about a one-pound little boy developing. And so every week they call grandma, their grandma, the the baby's great-grandma, and they tell her, Grandma, this is what I got this week. And it's developing, and he weighs, and the next week it's a she, and the next week it's a he, because they don't want to play favorites. She got, you know, half the time it's a boy, half the time it's a girl. And they compare it to things that we're familiar with in the vegetable or fruit kingdom. So that's been a lot of fun. So we all start there. And the only thing, other than breathing and maybe excreting, sorry for the bluntness, but that babies do is have the suck reflex. That is the one reflex of survival. And God has given those little ones that, and when the baby comes, the first thing they want to do after they make sure, you know, the airway's clear, is they want to put that baby to mama to see that it can start the the surviving, surviving <laughs> the survival mechanism. They, they want to see that that baby can suck because that's how it's going to be sustained. Of course, now we, we live in a culture, thankfully, that we have other ways to intervene, but that's so important. And that God saw to put in those little ones, that's all they know how to do. But they do it well, don't they? Because that's their means of survival. Well, and then we move into the toddler years. How many of you can remember something that happened to you at around three years old. Raise your hands. Fair enough. Okay, that's pretty good. Do you remember anything that happened distinctly to you? I do. And I just want to ask those of you who raised your hands, how many remember good things that happened to you about two or three years old? Okay, now put your hands down. And those who raised your hands before that had the memories, how many had memories of things that were traumatic that happened to you? Ho, 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 more hands. That was me. The first, the, one of my earliest memories of my childhood, I was right around the age of three. We lived in San Diego, California. My parents had just become Christians, Seventh-day Adventist Christians. I don't really remember that. I, actually, I have another memory before that. I can actually remember sipping my dad's beer. That was before the age of three. 
So that was, that was also a memory I have. So don't, you know, I mean, children. That was a bad memory. That was a bad memory. Yeah, it was a bad memory. <laughs> I don't know why you let me do it, but anyway, maybe, well, maybe I do know why. But anyway, <laughs> the memory I had was in our backyard walking behind the swing set. My mother took care of children from the community. It was a naval community. My dad had been in the Navy. And so she would take, you know, children in from other homes for the day to babysit them. And we had the swing set in the backyard. And I liked to swing. And these were my little friends. They were all older than I was. I was the youngest. And I remember walking behind the swing and getting hit and flying backwards and being, you know, on the ground behind the swing and just totally dazed and, of course, crying after I came around. And I learned a valuable lesson. I have never forgotten. And to this day, I've never walked behind anybody swinging ever (laughs) because I learned the lesson. So some of those trials that that, uh, the wise man was talking about are to teach us lessons that will be lifelong lessons that will preserve our life for the way God designs it to be. Yes, and one of my distinct memories is also a bad memory, and that was when I was just about four years old. I was sitting on the back of my brother's bike. We were riding. He was pedaling. I was sitting on the back, and I got my right big toe between the spokes and the frame of the bike while we were going rather fast. I've never forgotten that. (laughs) Neither have I ever been in a position again to get my toe in the spoke. So we do learn. So we hope that if you've learned hard lessons, that they've been good lessons. And if you've learned them through good things, that's even nicer. So children, all of you who are toddlers out there, two, three, four years old, maybe even up to five, we'll call it preschool, just think all the things you can do that you can talk about with mommy and daddy that will help you remember the good things, right? I mean, I'm sure you remember some bad things, but let's look for the good things. And parents, rehearse the good things that your child did at these ages so they remember the good things because the bad things tend to want to take the forefront of our thoughts. And then we move from that into children. Many of you here tonight are school-age children, anywhere from six to into your teen years. We're going to be talking about the primary school age. And there's a very interesting thing with children in this age category. Almost all children, when you ask them how old they are, they're a half, they're something and a half. I'm seven and a half. I'm ten and a half. I'm six and a half. We were in New Zealand earlier this year, and at the camps that we attend there, they're not like this. They divide us. We have a meeting every day together with the adults because they divide everybody out. And then I might have another adult meeting on my own, and he might have another adult meeting on our own. And then we're in the youth, and then we're in the juniors, then we're in the primaries, and we're doing meetings at all levels. Every day. Every day, which is quite exhausting, actually. But anyway, I was in this group, they were primary school age children, probably 6 to 12 years old in there, and so I didn't know a one of those children in the room, and I went around asking them to say their name and how old they were and what their favorite subject was in school. And it was amazing. Every single child in that room was something and a half. So I got to be quite curious, and I said to one of the children, well, when's your birthday? Now, we were there in January, 
And this child said to me, December, but they were already a half. They, had, they weren't old enough to know fractions yet, so I understood that. But because it's important, children really can't wait to do what? Grow up. Grow up. You remember when you were children, right, big people here? Oh, you just couldn't wait to, you could do this, or you could do that, or you could go somewhere without mom and dad, or something. Children, I want to give you a little hint. Don't be in a hurry, because you're going to get there sooner than you want to be. So just enjoy being just 10. And don't be 10 and a half unless you have to be 10 and a half. So that came my turn, because they wanted to know who I was. So I said my name, and then I said, I'm 57 and a half. And they didn't even think that was a strange answer. But it was a truthful answer because my birthday was in June, so I really was 57 and a half. So anyway, it was really a fun time together. And I just want to talk to you young people that this is the time of life that you are learning so much so quickly. This is a time when you could see a bunch of black specs on a page and not know that they're even called letters. And now you not only know their letters, but you know how to put them together and read and spell and you know all these numbers and how they work together. You're learning to add and subtract and multiply and divide and you're learning how to do English and all kind of fun things. Right? Oh, Children, that was pretty weak. Let me see how many children are from 6 to 12. Can I see your hands? 6 to 12. Put them in pie. Okay. So is school really fun? No. (laughs) Yes. Okay. Well, that's the point I want to make. It may not seem fun like for right now, but there is going to be a time when it really is fun. Because the more you apply yourself and learn now, the easier it's going to be. And you're going to find out in just a few years how all those math lessons and English lessons and spelling lessons, how hard they seem, but how much you have benefited from them because they are going to open up a whole big future for you to do lots of things, discover lots of things, do lots of things that you can't even imagine now. So... Put, a, put it on a good front. Yes, I can learn, and I'm going to do my best because I, I have this that's going to help me to transition in life. So as we're moving excuse me, through life, we come from this helpless place, and as parents, our desire, our goal, uh, what we're working towards is taking this helpless, dependent baby and by God's grace, to bring them to the place where they have proper independence. That can be quite a work, right parents? (laughs) And during that process, part of what we're experiencing is, it's easy when they're totally helpless, because it's obvious. But as they're becoming more and more educated, practically, and in school, and as they're learning how to take more and more responsibilities, then as they get into the teenage years, now what we're hoping and praying for starts to come to fruit. And it isn't always so miserable or so uh, predictable. And I can remember the first time 
that I ran into a problem with our generator. Now, it wasn't the first time we'd had problems with the generator, but the first time that my young teenage son had a better idea for figuring it out than I did. That's, that can be very good, and that can be a little bit intimidating, okay? Because you suddenly realize, especially if you're like me, who I don't happen to be really mechanically inclined. I can change oil, I can change tires. Can I do anything? I can wash the windshield. Can I do anything else? Yes, you can. <laughs> okay. But I found out there in those early teen years that somehow, by God's grace, my son had aptitudes that I didn't have. And on the one hand, we love that. On the other hand, it's like, well, I've been doing it this way for how many years, and you're telling me that you have a better way? <laughs> okay, yeah. And so, if it's true, praise the Lord, because they're doing exactly what we're hoping they're transitioning. Now, sometimes I realize that sometimes they actually think that they may know more than their parents know. Is that possible? <laughs> isn't really possible that they know more than their parents know, but it is possible that they may think that they know more or in certain areas. And I can remember when our girls, because Josiah's the youngest, and so our girls in Montana, you could take driver's ed and get your permit at 14 and a half years old. <laughs> that that's, half is still important. That's a pretty important. And came up time for them, and they were so excited to, to go into driver's education. And I can remember one of the other boys at church. When he found out that our girls were going to take driver's ed, and he was their age, he said, I want to take driver's ed. And I'll never forget the response of his mother you're not taking driver's ed because I can't trust you, which was unfortunate. Well, they're taking driver's ed. Well, that's because their parents can trust them that if they get the car, they won't go. And she's saying this. Fortunately, it wasn't in a big group of people. But it was the reality. He was in one of these frame of minds where he thinks he knows more than his parents, and he's going to take driver's ed. Well, he didn't end up taking driver's ed till, unfortunately, quite a bit later because the conversation that they ended up having, having was, you want the extra privileges, but you don't want the responsibility and building the trust that comes with that. So in the teenage years, and we love the teenage years, I can remember sitting with, with both of us sitting down with our three young people and we said, listen, We've never raised teenagers before. So, be patient with us. <laughs> and Allison said, I've never been a teenager before. Be patient with me. <laughs> <laughs> so, we have very fond memories of those teenage years, and it's an explosive time of learning and taking responsibility. 
It's an explosive time of maturing also. There's so many things happening in the teen years. You know, the body is changing. The mind is developing much more quickly. There's more independence that's desired. So we have to, as parents, really be there with our young people. We can't, you know, just put the reins on them and and hold on to the rein and say you can't go. They have boundless energy, so we have to be willing to explore that energy, to direct that energy, to go through those teenage years with them. Because there's a lot of things happening. And one of the things that becomes very evident in the teen years is the noticing of other people, particularly the opposite gender. And that's normal. There's nothing wrong with that. We want to state that very clear, okay? That is normal. But it's how we help our young people process that. What do they do with that noticing? Where does it go? How does it get carried? What happens in the mind? And we need to help our children and our young people, our teenagers, journey through that to develop normal, healthy relationships, good communication with both male and female. If, if we just have our daughters, we didn't just exclusively make them stay with the girls. We allowed them to have friends with boys and girls, teenagers of their same age. But in that process, it wasn't just a free-for-all, okay, you know, do what you want, go where you want, and be what you want, say what you want. It was we were there journeying through that, pro- that, that time of life with them, and that's what we as parents need to do. We hope that parents don't instill in their young people that, you know, you're 16 and you're a young lady, so you can't notice boys. Because they're going to notice boys. So don't give your young person a guilt trip because they happen to see somebody, but also we need to not feed the wrong side of that. We need to help them to mature in their thinking and their outlook and how to begin to work to keep their heart during this process. That means open, honest communication. We need that all the time. And if you want to have that kind of communication, we could sit for hours in the evening. We had committed to family talk time every evening. And as the young people got older in the teenage years, we could sit literally, could sit for for more time than we had in the evening, just communicating. That's because it started when they were very little. If you want to get inside of your young people's minds at at 15, 16, and 17 years old, you need to be encouraging that kind of open communication at 5 and 6 and 7 years old because they will be there. And so the devil never rests, and we all know that, but one of the things that, that happens when families make a commitment that they're not going to follow the dating scene. When I was in, in academy, it was not unusual to, uh, to be dating at 13, 14 years old. Now it's not unusual to be you know, dating at 8 and 9 years old. But in academy, it was actually even encouraged. They had banquets. They had these special dates, you know, all these kind of things. Well, we don't. We didn't want to repeat that with our young people as we're going through the teenage years for obvious reasons. But one of the things that the devil has done, and unfortunately it's, it's not a comfortable thing, is that is because parents and young people have made conscientious choices not to get involved in the typical dating scene, 
In some cases, the devil takes that, tries to put it out of balance, and so relationships start happening, and we see it a lot more with girls than we do with guys. Never seen it with guys. Never seen it with guys, okay? I mean, in our, in our, in our retreats. In our retreats. But we started noticing uh, a couple of years ago, started noticing that girls were having inappropriate, abnormal relationships because they were free to be in those relationships. And, and, and I'm not going to be too, too graphic because we have a, a wide audience, but we're talking about girls sitting together, rubbing their arms and rubbing through their hair and massaging their necks and intimate touch that was happening with girls that were, you know, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, walking together, holding hands, arms around each other, going across campuses at various, you know, retreats. Now, to some girls, that did not seem abnormal. But as we saw this trend developing, you know, we started talking about it as a ministry. And then we had some people coming to us that were, were raising concerns about this. It wasn't just us questioning it, this doesn't seem normal. And so we decided, okay, Lord, we will talk about this. Not the most comfortable subject, but we've seen it enough. And many of you know, at least many of you adults know, and you young adults know that today there is a push in the United States of America to do away with traditional marriage, okay? We're aware of this. It's not just that we want equal time for other kinds of relationships that, that, that God doesn't sanction, but there is a push to do away with the traditional family, and there is a push, and it's happening on college, university campuses, there is a push towards improper relationships. And so we have addressed this because if you saw a couple of 18 or 19-year-old guys sitting together in the meeting tonight, rubbing each other's hair, and stroking each other's arms, would you think that was normal? No, of course not. It's not normal for 18 or 19-year-old girls to be doing this either. And unfortunately, what's happening is that some of those situations are leading to an end that is forbidden and called an abomination in the Word of God. And you know, it's uncomfortable for me. In fact, tonight I told my dear wife, I said, Honey, it's your turn to talk about this tonight. Because everywhere we've gone, in every camp, this is our last retreat this year. We keep wanting to call them camps. We've been calling them camps for a long time. And, and so, <laughs> everywhere we've, got, we've gone, we've had people come to us and say, Thank you for being willing to say this. Because we're seeing it in our church. It's not so funny to see a couple of little two-year-old girls holding hands, but when it's happening, it's not normal relationship. And sadly, because of the work that we do in this ministry and have done for the last 25 years, we are seeing the end result. And I don't want to tell you how many girls that we know from family camp, personally, that have taken the wrong route. Now, that's not the only reason we have a concern. But 
We don't want parents to be seeing this kind of situation happening and, and thinking, well, it's okay. I mean, the guys, we wouldn't want our guys to do that with other guys, but it's okay for girls because it's one of the counterfeits of the devil to take our young people. If he can't get them in a dating relationship that messes their heads up, scars their hearts, he'll get them involved in another kind of emotional attachment, which is what we've dealt with. We just recently dealt through one with a family that's going through it. And praise God, the young lady in her 20s has seen the light and she has thanked us, particularly my wife, for being willing to address this with her. And she has come back to the Lord and given away that inappropriate relationship. So these are very important years, teen years, and we're going to talk about teens and young adults here because another thing that's very prevalent here that we see a lot of is the social networking. Now, we're not standing here and saying it's, it's wrong because it isn't wrong, but it can be a trap instead of the tool that God would have us to use it. For many, it's become a trap. And on that line of social networking, particularly, we see an increased amount of young people connecting through text, primarily, or the social networking, you know, their Facebook or their Twitter or their, what's the other one with the pictures? You guys know, I don't know. Thank you. Um, And there's good in it, but it can also become out of balance. And that's the point we want to bring out tonight. God is all about balance in life. He's not about taking away fun and, and, and proper association, and he's not about making our lives very lonely and miserable and isolated, but he also doesn't want us to go into the trap where we are totally, and young people become totally controlled in this area. And even within this group here tonight, there are young people who are in a trap in the social networking one family came to us and said, you know, their young person they just discovered was texting one, it was a guy, he's texting a young lady a hundred times a day. He says, well, we're just friends. No, they're not just friends. That's it, not normal. It's not normal because you don't text every other friend that you have a hundred times a day or more. And it may seem shocking, but some of you are in it and some of you parents don't know that your young people are in it because they are more techie than we are and they know how to do it and keep us in the dark. So it's part of our challenge as parents. But it is a growing problem in this country and all first world countries. And now the government sees that we are heading for a big crisis in the, in the young, young people's society today in this nation. And they have requested universities to study this out and find out why are we seeing such a dramatic increase in crime, violence, and suicide and and other things in this age group. And so universities, University of Michigan was one of them that did a study research over several years, and they have discovered that there is a there is a parallel, a direct parallel between social networking, the amount of time young people are in these social networks, to the amount of other kind of behaviors they're exhibiting. That a direct correlation between increased time in social network and increased suicide rates. I mean, it's 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 staggering to think that how can that be? They've created a new clinical term. It's called FOMO, feeling of missing out, because many of these young people are getting these 
messages and texts and other kind of media from their friends about how great their life is and all the th- great things they're doing and how fun and exciting and my friends and, and I'm popular and, and I got the car and, and all this stuff. Likes. And mm. all these people are like it. And then, and this happened right to our own daughter, who's not really into social networking. And their post got two likes or a few likes. It is amazing. We talked about this with our daughter Allison. She posted. She's not into this. Her husband has a Facebook account. And he posted a few pictures of their new baby. And a very dear friend who she knows that they have been very close for many, many years. She knows she's, she likes this, this friend's baby and that friend's baby. And she never even commented on Allison's. Now, Allison's quite mature. And she is a strong walk with the Lord. But I tell you, it was confusing to her. Because these two people communicate all the time. And she sees how many times this person, her friend, is liking all these, her other friend's babies and doesn't even comment. That is one of the dangers, feeling I'm missing out. When you multiply that, it can be disastrous for young people if they don't have a walk in the Lord. So we talked through it, and she's fine with it. You know, she, maybe she didn't see it or this or that. And to this day, this friend has still never even hardly acknowledged, oh, yeah, happy that you had a baby, but that was the end. Now, think about that. What does that do to a person who maybe feels insecure Maybe, you know, is struggling that for whatever reason, it is very devastating. So feelings of missing out. We have to be aware that there are dangers in the social networking world. And we need young people. We encourage you, you know, monitor it, balance it out, and be sensitive. Because there's other people out there who aren't in the group. There's other people out there who aren't popular. And those young people that could be, you know, some of your Facebook friends or your networking friends, they need to be encouraged spiritually. I praise the Lord for young people who are on those networks talking about the relationship with God, giving words of encouragement, and reaching out and using a tool to reach out to those who are friendless. That's right. So there's a good side of it, but let's be careful how we use it. We were talking with... Uh with one university professor on an airplane. And he said that basically where this generation that we're in right now is headed is to completely lose their writing skills, to lose their reading comprehension, to lose their ability to write compositions. and Or even to communicate <clears throat> face-to-face. And it, some of the research that we've done, we, we don't do extensive research on this, but because we're dealing with families, and for every group like this, we have people come to us that nobody knows about, and they tell us the heartbreaking stories that are happening behind closed doors. And one of the things that's happening in social networks, so, social networking is that a couple of the people who are highly involved in initiating this. There's nothing wrong with technology, but sometimes we don't know where it's going to go. And they said, we have created a monster that we had no idea socially would do what it's doing to people. That's kind of scary, isn't it? 
I mean, it's here to stay, and we know that, and we're not resisting. You know, I can remember when emails came out. I laugh about this. You know, never say never, right? (laughs) How many of you have ever said never, and then you end up doing it, okay? I don't think I said never about emails, but I said, you know, I'm not going to get into that email thing. I mean, we're talking way back, okay? (laughs) Well, do you think I email today? All the time. (laughs) In fact, we were on another airplane, and we were writing thank you notes, and a guy leans over, and he says, you're actually writing thank you notes? That is amazing. (laughs) He said, don't tell my wife, because she'll think I need to do that. (laughs) It is, you know, it's kind of, we're in it, and we're going to stay in it, and it's going to progress, but let's be in it together as a family. Some of the heartache that we receive from, from parents is they had no idea what was happening on that smartphone. They didn't even know that their young person was connected to the internet. They didn't know all the things that were happening. We need to be with our children through these things, and then we have a better opportunity to keep the communication open. And the young adult years, you know, you've got your career, you're heading for your, your lifetime you know, occupation, you're looking for a spouse. Those are all, that's a wonderful time of life. And don't, again, don't rush it, you know. I, I can't tell you how many young ladies I have talked to personally who, who couldn't wait to be married. And they get married at 19, even 20, 18, some of them. And now they have two or three children and they're 25 to 28 years old. And they said, I kind of feel like I've missed out on something. So don't rush that. Do what you want to do. I talked to a, we talked to a young lady recently, and she says, you know, I'm not in a hurry because there's things I want to do. I want to go out on a mission trip, and I want to do this and that, and I want to be able to have this time in my life, and then I'm ready to settle down. So I think that there's a lot to that that's good wisdom. But young, young adults here, and there's many of you here, you know, in this category tonight, don't be caught by just the outward appearance. The outward appearance will change. It will change. It's a matter of time, right? You know, looking at some of you men with shiny tops, you know? <laughs> that didn't, didn't necessarily start out that way, right? And some of us ladies who are, you know, a bit broader or, you know, whatever, <laughs> it didn't start out that way. So we are going to change. You cannot just look on the outward. We need, you need to be evaluating character. Amen. The quality, what do you find that you really appreciate? What draws you to that young lady? What draws your attention to that young man? And if it's his looks or his voice, it's not enough. Those are important. We hope you never choose to be married to somebody you can't stand to look at. That's important. But more important is that you appreciate the qualities of their character. Because those are things that are real and solid, and by the grace of God, will not change for the worse, but only will strengthen for the better. Yeah, can I just add one thought to that? You know, if we encouraged our girls, we said, don't let your heart get entangled before you know who this person really is. Because when the emotions get involved, the vision gets blurry. It's difficult to assess who this person really is 
when there is just this feeling and these emotions because we let ourselves, we let our hearts out too early and we can't evaluate properly. So don't get your, don't get your heart ahead of your head. And if this person is right, God will make that abundantly clear. Amen. And I, I said to this one young man, his parents asked me if, if I'd be willing to talk to him. And I said, sure, I'm happy to talk. I don't think he'll want to talk to me, maybe, but I'm happy to talk to him. Well, he did call me, and I said, you feel right now so strongly that this girl is right for you. He said, yes. And I said, from what your parents have shared, you're resisting counsel. You don't want to talk about it. You don't want to hear. They don't understand. I said, in our conversation, if, you're, if you really know that this is the right girl in your heart, then you will not be intimidated by any of the questions that I ask you on this phone conversation. Is that fair? And he paused about that long. Yeah, I, I guess that's fair. I said, so let's talk about what it is and why you're moving forward in resistance to your parents. And I praise God, by the end of that conversation, this young man said, it's like I'm coming out of a dream. Or maybe a nightmare. <laughs> he said, I see it. I didn't see it. He didn't see it because he was looking in the wrong places, and he was not evaluating character. He was letting his emotions swallow him up. I praise God. And he's thanked me a few times. And it's not the first time we've had this opportunity. We've had this opportunity with a couple of people that were ready to get married. And they are now happily married to different people, completely different people. And they've thanked us many times. Not for who we are, but because they were willing. We weren't going to force them. But we asked them some questions that made sense to them in a way they would not listen to their parents. And they are living happily ever after and have thanked us for saving them from potential tragedy. So young people, God has somebody, but God wants to lead you through this step by step with your heart in the right place. And if you're fighting against your parents, your heart's in the wrong place. And I don't care, you know, if they're, they think they're too strict or whatever, but your heart's in the wrong place. And one day you'll see that, hopefully before you say, I do. So now we want to talk about adult life. And that's really where we spend most of our time, isn't it? Because we're really only gotten us up to about the mid-20s at best. And now there's a large chunk of life that happens. You know, we maybe have, get married and have a family. And all of a sudden, life starts to picking up a faster pace. Wouldn't you say so? All you adults, it starts, look at these young adults over here. They're like, where did it go? I remember when you came and you guys weren't even married, right? When you visited us? Just got married. Okay, just got married. And now here they are with children who are old enough to read and sing. That was great. Life moves very quickly. And for us as adults and parents, 
capture the moments, treasure every moment because it's going to fly by. I can remember days feeling like you just got to get through this day. It's all that's important Survival. is just surviving the day, right? And sometimes that can be the mode of operation. But if we're getting stuck in that mode, I mean, the occasional one-off, we can understand. But if that's where we're starting to get stuck, then we need to get unstuck pretty quick. We need to realize that every moment of life is a treasure, and we need to capture those moments of life with our young, with our children as they grow up. And take the time there, because it will pass very quickly. And I know you are committed parents, and you're pouring yourself into your little ones. Praise the Lord. And you're pouring yourself into your your, your young people, your, your teenagers, your young adults, you're giving them the time. And all of a sudden, and many, I'm looking over the audience here, many of you have already experienced it. All of a sudden, they're grown, they're gone, they're married, they're on their own, right? Where did it go? So that's a big transition, going from having a nest full of chicks to being an empty nester. I'm actually loving the empty nest syndrome. (laughs) We call it the second honeymoon. (laughs) A never-ending honeymoon. That's right. Um, So it's not bad, parents. It's really not bad, but... But let me say this. Again, just because we we have the opportunity, the privilege, really, of talking to, visiting with, experiencing, unfortunately, sometimes painfully, with families, there are many couples that don't know how to operate in the empty nest. They don't know. The mother is saying, my mission's gone. (laughs) Exactly. My my mission's gone. I've spent my whole last 25 years or whatever it is pouring myself, particularly mothers pouring themselves into their children, and they're gone. So what's my purpose? What here I am. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, there. But this is the point. In the transition, we didn't wait until we had an empty nest to experience what we're experiencing now and why we don't mind having an empty nest. Because my wife never lost the significance of us. Either way. Now, yes, she was very wrapped up and tied up in the children, but I was very committed to the children as well. But we recognize that things are changing in our family dynamic. And if you're coming to those years, don't wait until it's, you know, well, that one's leaving. Don't wait for that to happen. Build this relationship. Strengthen it. Now, we only experienced emptiness for how long before mom moved in? couple years. Because we had your dad. Yeah, we took care of my dad. We were committed even before we got married, if you can imagine this. Before we were married, 34 years ago, we talked about what we would do with our parents. It was one of the things that was important to both of us. Even though we didn't understand a lot of this, didn't understand how to die to self very well, but we, this was important. And we've been committed to each of our parents. We have one parent left, that's Elaine's mother. And we have worked through and of life experience with each of our parents. And I tell you, we have never regretted it. So she, now, mother lives with us. I call her mother. When my mother died, I asked Elaine's mother, can I call you mother? She loved it. So I call her mother. And she's living with us now, and we love having her with us. 
It's, it's been a, a joy and an interesting experience because, you know, one of the things the Lord brought to my heart in this process of bringing mother into the home with us, I am a do-it-get-it-done person. And we live a long way from town. We always have lived out in the country and kind of remote, but we're really remote now. You know, it's 75 miles to the Walmart, and it's 30 miles to our post office or a gas station. Eight so, miles to a nearest power pole. <laughs> so we're pretty, pretty out in the boonies. And when I go to town, I have a list. See, some of you who like to make lists, I have a list. I've got it figured out in my head, the order which I'm going to stop and accomplish this list, which is a long list. And just to do it by myself would be a full day. And now my mother is coming to live with us, and my mother's 86. She doesn't move at my pace. She moves at her pace, which is at least half my pace. Yeah, at least. (laughs) And... The thing the Lord impressed upon my heart was, it's not about your list. It's about having time with your mother to make it enjoyable. If she wants to go in every stop, then as you do, let her, she walks in with me every stop. I, I open the door for her. I let her out. I say, here's my arm. Hold on, because she's not always real steady. She gets on my arm. We shut the car. We go into the store. And the other day, I had her in town. And it was another long list day and had to get the permit and different things, you know. So there were timelines on me, and I wanted to get home. And she said, oh, honey, there's the thrift store. (laughs) Do we have a few minutes? Can we go in there? I had four more stops in less than two hours to accomplish it in. And I wanted to say, don't have time. But I didn't. I said, sure, mother. And that was a good 15 or 20 minutes at her pace. And it was the most valuable time I spent that day with her. Because it's what she wanted to do. My list, she went with me everywhere I needed to go. But this was what she wanted. And it was very meaningful for both of us. So... This is the thought. It's sometimes we are so wrapped up living our moments of life. We, everyone in this room, we're so wrapped up living our moments of life that we forget to recognize the moments in the lives of those we love. Did you get that? We forget to recognize or look at the moments in the life of those we love. And that's been very clear to me. It's not about my list. It's not about my pace. It's about having time with my mother that she can, we can enjoy that time together. And it is so precious. I treasure it. I learn from her. I've learned so many things in the six months she's been in our home. I can't even remember them all to tell you. But one of the things she said to me not too long after she came is I was going to whip up some non-dairy whipped cream. Okay, And she saw me get the mixing bowl out of the cupboard and the beaters out of the cupboard. And she says, honey, don't you know you're supposed to put them in the refrigerator and chill them before you whip the whipped cream? Somebody knew. This guy knew that. (laughs) Now, she had always done it. And somehow, and I always helped her in the kitchen because I like to be with her and cook. But somehow, I never caught it. I missed it. 
And at 57 years old, 57 and a half, I learned that lesson. And there's been many little things like that I've learned that I treasure. Because as children, we don't absorb it all, do we? But we can keep learning from those who are older than us, from our parents, Mm -hmm. even in their 80s. That's right. One of the things that mother said to us that was very deep and, you know, we're in it. So it means a lot to us. But she said, you know, honey, she said, I live 40 years with your father. And then he passed away of cancer. And then I lived another 20 years with Bob. And then he passed away from Parkinson's disease. And she said, it is so nice to be hugged. I miss being hugged. Now, think about that. You've lived 60 years of your life with a companion. a companion who loves you and hugs you, touches you, puts their hand on you, holds your hand. That was profound to us. Is it obvious? Yes, but it wasn't something that was just there standing out in our minds. And so when she joined our family, for many years now, when we have the blessing, and it doesn't matter who is praying or where we are, When the blessing is said, I give my wife a kiss, and it is to her, it's a message of my love and appreciation for all that she is to me and all that she does for me and for our family when we were a family. That's just an expression of appreciation. So when mother came to live with us, if it's just the three of us, which it mostly is when we're home, my wife sits here. I sit at the head of the table, and mother sits there, and when we have the blessing, whoever has the blessing, I reach over and give my wife a kiss, and then I lean over and give mother a kiss on the forehead, and she loves it. Yes. And then at night, when we, after we have worship, we give each other hugs, and I'll have to demonstrate it. <laughs> yeah, do, do, honey. Yeah. And she says, oh, that feels so good. (laughs) Is it a little thing? Yes. But to her, she feels loved. She feels cared for. And you know, the more that we give, the more that we receive. It's just the law of God. Okay? When you try to just keep, just try to be selfish, it dries up. But the more you give, the more it comes back. And These words in the book of John have meant more to us having mother living with us. John 19, 25 says, Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother. I want you to think about that for a second because we've thought about it a lot. Jesus is going through the agony that we'll never understand, bearing the sins of the whole world which eventually killed him, the weight of the sin, the separation that sin causes. And it said, now there stood by the cross Jesus, his mother. And when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple who was standing by whom he loved, he said to his mother, 
Behold thy son. And he said to his disciple, Behold thy mother. Jesus in his dying agony looked to meet the needs of his mother. How many mothers are there out there tonight? Raise your hands. She stood by the cross of her son who she believed was the Messiah who, like the others, the others thought that he would be the king to free them from the bondage of Rome. And she watches, not only does she watch her son dying in her presence, she's watching the hope of Israel perish. Now only a mother can enter into that scene if you have a son who's dying in front of you. Now fathers, we can enter into it, but not the same way as a mother. And Jesus recognized his mother's need in that dying agony. And he met that need as well as he could with his arms outstretched, dying. I want to say tonight that we have been privileged in this transition of our lives to have been able to help our parents through their last years. And it is a blessing beyond measure. And I'd like to just read to you a letter. It's not from Elaine's mother, but it's a letter from a mother to her daughter. It says, My dear girl, the day you see me getting old, I ask you, please, be patient. But most of all, try to understand what I'm going through. If when we talk, I repeat the same thing a thousand times, don't interrupt me. You said the same thing a minute ago. Just listen, please. Try to remember the times when you were little and I read you the same story night after night until you fell asleep. And when I don't want to take my bath, please don't be mad and don't embarrass me. Remember when I had to run after you making excuses to get you to take a shower when you were just a little girl. When you see how ignorant I am with all this new technology, Give me time to learn and don't look away. Don't look that way at me. Remember, honey, I patiently taught you many of the things like eating appropriately, getting dressed, combing your hair, and dealing with the many life issues every day. The day you see me getting old, I I ask you, please be patient, but most of all, try to understand what I'm going through. If I occasionally lose track of what we're talking about, Give me time to remember, and if I can't, don't be nervous or impatient or arrogant. Just know in your heart that the most important thing for me is to be with you. And when my old tired legs don't let me move as quickly as before, give me your hand the same way that I offered mine to you when you first learned to walk. And when those days come, don't feel sad, just be with me. And understand me while I'm getting to the end of my life with love. And I'll cherish and thank you for the gift of time and the joy that we've shared. 
With a big smile and a huge love that I've always had for you, I just want to say, I love you, my darling daughter. May God help us to recognize the moments of those around us who we love, but we are often so busy in our own world that we push past them, that we miss them. God is working in each of our lives to bring us to the final transition between this world and the unseen world of eternity. Do you want to be a part of that transition? then let's be faithful to him right where we are in the transitions that we're experiencing now. Can we kneel together as we close? Oh, Father in heaven, we thank you for your unending love, a love that will never leave us or forsake us. We thank you for the privilege of going through these transitions of life, wherever we find ourselves, the privilege of going through them by your grace and the strength of Jesus Christ. That we can go through whatever difficulties, as we read there in Ecclesiastes, some of the things that try us, that exercise us, that the difficulties, some of which we can't understand why we're going through, that we will allow those exercises to meet the ultimate plan that you have where you make all things beautiful in your time and that we would be a part of that transition when you take us from this world to a better place, a heavenly Canaan. May we be faithful in these transitions, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.